rest stop. Uh, I don't want to say a detour, but kind of a timeout in our journey through Revelation. Because granted, it can be a little overwhelming and difficult. It's a lot of information and a lot of it's stuff that folks don't want to hear and they don't understand it immediately. So they're like, what does that mean? So here's what I've heard folks do. Well, I'm just not going to read it. Here's a better idea. Let's take our time through it. And if we get a little bit, oh, wait, I feel like I go to the bathroom. Wait, you stop, you know. Let's take a rest stop. Time out. Today's the time out for us. We're going to answer some questions and look at the Bible and maybe give you some clarity on where we've come from, okay? These questions were turned in by our people. Some of them were turned in by adults, some by children. You'll see some of those as well. I think they're good questions. First question I want to draw your attention to in our end times Q&A. In fact, would you read this question with me aloud? Ready? Here we go. How am I supposed to view Revelation? Is it a chronological story or just random allegorical thoughts? That's a good question. I'm not really comfortable with any of these descriptions. Okay. First of all, it's not, a, it's not just random. I couldn't say that. However, it's not all chronological. There are some chapters in Revelation that seem to kind of repeat. They kind of go back and give a synopsis. And I'll share those with you in a little bit of what he just said. So if you take it almost like a story, like a fictional story, you'll find that you're going back. You've got to be aware it's not all chronological, but it's not all random. It is allegorical, but yet it is literal. So there's, there's a number of components here. Let me just kind of tell you what I think, uh, how to business this question. I'm going to show you two verses. It is an overview of the revealing of Christ and the events that surround it. Just jot that down in your study guide and then turn to Revelation. You're there already. Chapter 1. Let me show you the very first verse in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Here's what the Bible says. The second word in the book. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what the word there is? The apocalypse or the unveiling. Now, let me just clarify something with everyone here today. When you hear about apocalypse now and movies about the end of the world, I want to say something to you with great conviction. The end of the world is not about fire from heaven, the armies of who knows where coming in, you know, the day after tomorrow. You've seen that, probably seen that movie and the ice is all coming and, and fire. I mean, really the end of the world, watch this guys, the end of the world is about the revealing of Jesus Christ, not the unveiling of the end. There would be no end if it weren't for Jesus. In fact, Jesus comes, brings things to an end, and begins another time period called eternity. So I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable with these people who talk about the apocalypse and they make it a matter of events. That is untrue. The apocalypse is about a person. Amen? Jesus Christ. It's His unveiling. In that unveiling, we have given up to us, some of it's literal, some of it's symbolic. And it depends on how you read it, how, when we read that and what the words are. I'll get to that next. But if you just look at it as this, Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus when He comes again and all the events that surround it. Let me show what I'm talking about. Revelation 1, you read that part in verse 1. Look at verse 11. Revelation 1.11. He told John in the vision to write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So, John was to see a vision of the end times, the things that were going to happen, the, the unveiling of Christ, and he's going to write it down. 
Look over at verse 19 now. Verse 19, write therefore what you have seen. And here's what John saw. He saw what is now and what will take place later. So the best way to understand Revelation is like this, guys. It's an overview of what is now. John's vision concerned what is now. That's why he starts with the churches. That's where we're in today, the churches. And then he goes on to talk about what will happen after this in heaven. In fact, if you have a pen, it's not on the board here, but let me just kind of walk you through Revelation chapter by chapter real briefly. If you were to look at Revelation as a whole, chapter 1 is about the vision of John. Chapter 2, watch this, is great. This will get you excited. Chapter 2 is Jesus Christ. Excuse me, chapter 1, the vision is Jesus Christ. And then chapter 2 is the churches. Chapter 2 and 3. So it starts off, his vision of Jesus, then the churches, and then he moves to heaven. Chapters 4 and 5. And then in chapter 6, he begins talking about things on the earth. Did you catch that? So here's John's vision in 1. Just kind of jot down chapter 1, right down the vision, which is about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? A lot of folks are interested in Revelation because of what's on the earth, what's going to happen in Russia, or the old Russia, or the Soviet Union, or what's going to happen in, in Baghdad. Man, you know what? We're way off on that. The key to understanding Revelation is understanding who is revealed. It's Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, the vision of Jesus. Chapter 2 and 3, the churches, what we are, where we are now. And then, 4 and 5, heaven. I believe, now watch this, I believe personally, those two could be placed side by side as simultaneous. Right now in heaven, chapters 4 and 5 are going on, I believe. Right now on earth, chapters 2 and 3 are going on. Now, there's some disagreement there. Not everyone follows that line of thinking. That's okay. I think 2 and 3, 4 and 5 are what's going on earth and heaven. Excuse me. The church is in heaven. And then in 6, he begins to talk about what's going on in the earth after this. So it's an overview of the coming of Christ and the end times and all that surround that. I told you a minute ago that sometimes it seems chronological, sometimes it doesn't. Look with me at uh, chapters 12 and 13, would you? Take your Bible and turn over to Revelation 12 and 13. Up to chapter 12, it seems pretty chronological. And in case you're wondering what that word means, that just means timed sequence in an order of events. It seems like that. But watch chapter 12 and 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But if you look at 12 and 13, it, it almost is like a brief history of the world. It talks about uh, uh, this woman and the serpent who will lead the world astray. And then in verse 10, about how salvation has come. And, and he goes through chapter 13, talking about uh, the Antichrist and how he's deceived. And if you look at it, really, 12 and 13 almost seem like, watch me here, like a parenthesis. Now, that's my opinion. Well, I'll just tell you that's a conviction. So that's why when you're reading Revelation, you can almost be reading and say, we're on the one, first seal, second seal, second trumpet. Oops, what's this whole deal? So don't think chronological every moment. Just read it. As, a, as apocalyptic literature, which is sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's not. But here's the key thing to keep in mind. It's, it's about Jesus Christ, His unveiling, and the end time events around it. Second question. Someone asked earlier, are all things in Revelation symbolic or are they real? Well, just the answer is both. In some ways, not all is symbolic and not all are um, real. The keys are, are these. Just write these two things down. You've got to look for the words like and the word the word like and the word as. Okay? 
As you're reading Revelation, if you see someone, a verse like Revelation 11.13, look over there with me. You're probably already there. Look at Revelation 11.13 with me, okay? 11.13. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. A tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed. That's literal writing. At some point in the, history, in the future of the world, this will happen. But look at Revelation 13.11. Just switch the numbers and look at Revelation 13.11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. you see that? Now, was this beast a lamb? No. He had two horns, what? Like a lamb. And so you've got to look for words like like. Like, like, <laughs> okay? And words like as. And that will help you in your reading. Here's something else I want to share with you. Don't read more into it than is already there. I'm amazed at the amount of people, and just some of you are grinning right now. I'm amazed at the amount of people who find things in this book that I've never read. Now, I'm not an expert. I spend a lot of my time studying this book, but I'm not an expert. I'm not a... They're probably smarter than me. I, sometimes I'm like, man. Where did they get that? I'm looking and you know what they've done? Is they're, they're intrigued by the symbolism, so they've taken it to a level that really it shouldn't go, and they find things that really aren't there. You know what? Sometimes it's just good advice to read what is there, and guess what? Believe it. Imagine that. God's Spirit, as you open the pages of Scripture, will give you the insight to read it, understand it. Don't make it harder than it is. For instance, I'll give you an example. This will get some of you a little excited here. Look, He is coming in the clouds. Revelation 1-7. We talked about this one week. Look, He's coming in the clouds. And then folks say, Whoa, what kind of cloud is that? And then I heard a pastor say one time, Well, that cloud just refers to His glory. He's not really in the clouds. He's just kind of in His glory. And we're not sure when that coming is. It's probably, in, and suddenly, we missed the whole point of the verse. Which is what? That's why you say, Todd, are you pre-tribulational or, or, or these other words? I don't know for sure. I'll tell you what I am. I'm pro-coming. Remember that message? That's exactly what I am. Don't miss the simple point of the verse. He is coming. That's not hard to understand, is it? So your neighbors who are working nine to nine, slaving away to get the boat and the car in the house, and thinking they can take it all with them, or your neighbors who are trying to do the very best they can to be good, so that when they stand before the higher power, they can have the scales tip in their favor? You think they really care if it's at year one or year three and a half that it comes? No. What they want to know is, you mean Jesus is coming again? He is. Are you ready? You with me, guys? Uh, don't fall in the trap of going to seminary every week. Let the seminary dudes figure out all the, all the hard stuff if they want to. We'll spend our time... Reading the Bible, understanding it, and then living it out. Amen? Question number three. And if you go to seminary, you've been there and you're mad at me now, see me afterwards. I'll, we'll take it outside, right? I'm just kidding you. Question number three. I've heard you mention the word rapture several times in the past few weeks. But I haven't seen it yet in Revelation. Where is it? That's a good question. Well, first of all, the word isn't there. We can all settle that. The word rapture, the English word rapture, is not there. However, in fact, the word rapture is not 
anywhere in the New Testament. You're saying, well, Todd, I'm, I'm kind of new here. Uh, I'm a brand new believer. Or maybe you've been a believer for a while. You've never been taught. I've never even what the word rapture means. That's a good question, too. The word rapture comes from a word in 1 Thessalonians. So I could ask you to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because we throw words around sometimes and we assume people know what they mean. But the truth is, if you've been listening to me and we've mentioned the word rapture, you've been reading thinking, man, that preacher, I can't find that word anywhere. What Bible is he using, you know? Well, it's a concept more than it is perhaps an actual word in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we understand the concept of being raptured. Now, not ruptured. Okay, let's make sure you understand the difference here. The church is caught away. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll ask you to look at verse uh, 16. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, which is speaking of the dead being raised, watch this, we who are still alive and are left will be, say the words with me, caught up together. That's the concept of being raptured or caught up. The most literal translation are the words snatching away. So to be most biblically correct, in our churches we ought to say, hey, are you ready for the snatching? Now, that's my kind of language, isn't it yours? Are you ready for the, you know, the snapture? We ought to call it that, right? It's a rapture. Now, the biblical concept is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. But the question then is, where is it in Revelation? If Paul taught believers, watch this now, I'm going to really get you going here. If Paul taught believers that there was a moment when folks would be snatched away, he also called it, the moment that were changed, and he said it would happen in the twinkling of an eye. That's 1 Corinthians 15. You jot that verse down. Now watch this. Let me show you what twinkling means. Twinkling means indivisible. It will happen, this snatching will happen so quickly that if it were a number, you couldn't even divide it. So twinkling of an eye is actually kind of slow. And the way I wink, you know, when I catch my wife, I'll, I wink very deliberately and slowly. Man, we're talking about some so quick, you can't even divide it. That's the snapture. That's the snatching away. That's, that's what's going on here. The question is, though, where is that in Revelation? That was his question. That's what they were wondering to know. Well, this is a, good, this is a tough one. I'm going to show you what most people believe. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, there are two places that most scholars and Christians have come down saying this is where the rapture or the snatching away has occurred. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I'll tell you which one I lean to when I'm done. Revelation 4, 1. Now remember, if you look at Revelation as a whole, he saw the vision of Jesus in chapter 1. He saw the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And now he's moving to what happens in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this, speaking of after he saw those seven golden lampstands, remember? The seven stars at our hand, the seven churches. After he saw the, the Son of Man with those lampstands and, and stars, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, 
Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. A lot of scholars believe that's the verse referring to this catching away. And they talk about two things. One is the idea of the trumpet, which we know that there's a trumpet when he comes, right? The Bible said, at the last trumpet. And also the idea of come up here. There's the, th- the sense of catching away. And they also say this, that it's between the, the, the view of the earth and the church age, or the time of the churches, 2 and 3, verses chapter 6. So they tend to think that at somewhere in chapter 4, verse 1, that's this snatching away. The other people, the other side, they view it somewhere between chapters, excuse me, somewhere between verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6. Look with me there, okay? Chapter 6 is about the four horsemen that bring things to the earth like famine, death, uh, deceit. Chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 6, in verse 10, we hear about these saints who have been killed. And they're calling out to the, to the Lord. How long, Sovereign Lord, verse 10, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. Wait what for? To wait for what? That's a good question. The folks who believe this is where the snatching away occurs, that's what they think they're waiting for. Remember the dead in Christ will rise first? These are folks that are dead. They've been martyred. So they're waiting. And watch with me here. Your eyes are great and big this morning. That's awesome. You're just listening. That's awesome. It says, wait until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. And then suddenly in verse 12 through about the end of the chapter, you find a description of the coming of Jesus that matches Luke 21 and Matthew 24. Now, I know I'm saying a lot of Scripture here, but don't lose me. You find a description of the coming of Christ in Revelation 6.12 that matches Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Other, there are those who believe that somewhere between verse 11 and verse 12, the Lord, the time was completed and that that wait was over and He snatched them up. And when He snatched them up, suddenly, watch this, that's when things really get bad. This is where I lean. I think personally... The, 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 the uh, catching away in 4.1 is a little stretched because you have to take it all by symbolism. Let me give you an example. Revelation 4.1. Go back there and look at this. He said, I heard a voice speaking to me like a trumpet. Correct? You see that there? He didn't say it was a trumpet, but if you read Paul's writings, the coming of Christ, was it with a trumpet or with something like a trumpet? You can say it, you can say it, it was with a trumpet. So, I think it's a stretch to say, hey, you know what? He heard something like a trumpet. That's probably the same thing as Paul's trumpet. Now, I'm not sure I can really dive that deep. Now, I could be wrong about this. The second reason I lean towards 6, 11, and 12 is because I think the four horsemen probably reveal the, the situation on earth in these last days that we're in. And I think Luke 21, Matthew 24 are very particular about the, the way the Lord's coming in the clouds. I think it matches Revelation 1, 7. You all take it literally. You know what I think? I think probably the, the snatcher, the snatching away. When we are suddenly in a time that's indivisible, caught up with the Lord, is in that same amount of time frame that He finally says, you know what? It's time for the punishment and the judgment to begin. He takes us out. And then here's why. We're told in the Thessalonian epistles that we're not appointed to wrath. 
Right? Guess where the wrath of God starts? Look at Revelation 6, verse 17. Look at Revelation 6, 16 and 17. This is after verse 11 and 12. I think somewhere in there we're caught away. I have no more proof than they do, by the way. So don't think I'm convicted on this like a staunch conviction. I think that's where it happens. I could be wrong. It could be earlier. But look at this. It says in verse 15, 16, Suddenly they said, Fallen is hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of God starts after this seal. What is it that you're saved from as a Christian? You're saved from wrath. So if you really connect the dots, I think there's, my, my opinion is, there's greater evidence that the snatching away occurs before the wrath of the Lamb. Would I die for that? No. But I die for this. Whenever it is, He's coming. Amen. I think that's the attitude you ought to take. I think you ought to find where you believe. You know, you may disagree with me. That's great. I have no problem with that. Have your Bible verses lined out. Study your Bible. But whatever you do, don't deny this. He is coming again. I don't know when it is, but I want to be ready. So if you were wondering, if you were wondering where that is in Revelation, it's probably 4, 1, or 6, 11, 12. And which one you pick, go for it. Another question here, real, real quickly. Were there more than seven churches at that time? Yes, there were. There was a church in Philippi. There was a church in Jerusalem. There was a church in Crete. There was a church in Corinth. Then why did he list these seven churches? Let me tell you why I think he listed these seven churches. And I kind of mentioned it here. Revelation was specifically written for distribution among these seven churches. Application by everybody. When you read it, you apply it. But John wrote it specifically for these seven churches. And here's why. The phrase, um, uh, the time is near. The, per, the, the persecution factor. Apparently, in this region, and I showed you last week the map of the seven churches. I think there was great persecution breaking out. Here's what I think is going on. This is a little uh, ambiance of the passage. I think these seven churches uh, were under great persecution. They were, they were leaning, some of them were leaning towards forsaking the doctrine of the gospel. John wrote them and said, listen, it's not over. You listen to me, church, listen to me. This is not the end. It's not the ninth inning yet. I mean, is there not a message that we should hear today? And I, I know of pastors who have forsaken the gospel, who have given up the ship of, of grace, and they've boarded other ships. They're preaching false doctrine. The Bible says those people are dogs. If you're new to our church, forgive me. But the Bible says that they're false teachers. They're ravenous wolves. Now, they look like sheep. Bah, they come creeping in. That's right, they come creeping in. False teachers don't come in and say, Hey everybody, I'm an FT. Everybody notice up here. They got a big FT here. Can I have the pulpit? That never happens. They come in. The Bible uses the word unaware. It's kind of an old King James word. But what it means is this. They can sit down at the table next to you. They can sit on a chair next to you. And man, they look like they've been in church for 20 years. Now, if I'm making you uncomfortable, you need to hang with me. That's what they do. And they say, ah, you know what? The truth is, that's a narrow-minded. Jesus is the only way. That's a little strict. What about those who 
have their own ways. And what about those who have their own gods? And suddenly, you have to think, oh, I guess, uh, you know, it is kind of narrow-minded. I guess we're... I was at the... Um, excuse me. I was aware of the 9-11 Remembrance Service here in our town. And uh, the priest that led that service said these words in public. All those people who were killed are in heaven now. In fact, all of you here will one day be with them in heaven. Now, you know, with all due respect, that's just false. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with your pastor spotting false doctrine and error? Not everybody was saved unless they believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Not everybody at the firehouse was saved unless they believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is false. It is corrupt. It is deceitful to say, you know what? Just, you'll probably get there. Don't worry. That was going on in these seven churches. The group called the Nicolaitans was a group of false teachers. And they were infiltrating these churches. And I think Paul, uh, John wrote and said, listen, if you give in, if you say, okay, it's too hard being a Christian, we'll just go ahead and adopt all the beliefs. Man, that's crazy because this is not the end. There's a judgment coming. The, the Lord is coming back. Hang on. So I say to you, my wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, here in this church, don't give in. Hang on. Amen? I know it's tough at work when you're, the guy in the cubicle next to you looks at you and thinks, man, that Luke, man, he is one narrow-minded dude. I mean, he has this like, you know, one way is the only way. He's like a my way is the highway. I bet he's a weird husband too. You treat your wife that way, man? I bet you're like a totally strange dad. I bet you just hammer on your kid. They make all these assumptions. They get from A to, to M. All because they think because you have a one-way belief system that you're then weird. Excuse me. That's not true. We're not weird. We're not strange. We're just bold about the truth. And I want to encourage you something. You hang in there. Don't give up, people of God. It is tough out there. I imagine that we're... It's not easy. But Revelation shows us there's more than now. Amen? There were other churches, yes. But I tend to think these seven were predominantly selected, were selected for the amount of persecution they were enduring and encouraged to hang on. Another question that we'll take. This is one a kid turned out. I like this one. There are a lot of horses in Revelation. Does that mean animals go to heaven? Here's the answer. Who knows? <laughs> Is that okay to say? I have a good friend of mine who believes animals do go to heaven. And by the way, uh, if I told you who they were, they don't live in the state, and you went to talk to them, she'd have you convinced. This lady is extremely a great Bible scholar and a, a loves the Lord, knows her, knows her Bible. I don't agree with her. But you can't deny the fact there are horses and there are things in heaven that resemble animals. So how'd they get there? Well, let me just say, I think this tells us more about heaven than animals. And if you want to know about heaven, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks. Is it more than halos and harps? You know, most of you hear about heaven, you think, I'm going to be floating, you know, the strums from, you know, and you're going to kind of bounce like the fluffy toilet paper commercial guy, you know, you're kind of bouncing around, you know. I mean, come on, people. Heaven's way better than a toilet paper commercial. Amen? 
Amen? <laughs> Amen. It's more than halos. It's more than harps. Revelation 4 and 5, when we get there, starting next week and the week after that, man, this is going to be an awesome time here to see what's going on in heaven now, what's going to go on in heaven later. Let me tell you why I don't think animals go to heaven. Let me answer the question. don't want to be a politician and talk around it. I want to answer the question. Um, I think the reason I don't believe animals go to heaven is because um, Jesus Christ died for us. Let me kind of make sure I read the, what I wrote here. There's the need for all who enter heaven to accept Jesus Christ, right? How do you get into heaven? Right, you accept, you believe, and I'll say it again because I love this phrase. You believe in the name of the only Son of God. If you're new today and you're wondering what our church believes, I think you'll know now. We believe in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Amen? Now, could there be animals in heaven? Yeah, but did they get there from earth? I don't think so. You know why? Because they don't enter the way of the cross. You don't get to heaven except through Jesus. Now, you know, old Fluffy, I love old Fluffy. I'm not being mean to, to Snowball. But the truth is, there's probably not going to be in heaven. But you might find a white stallion up there who's been there since the creation of the world. And you may get a chance to ride on him. But do I think animals die from here and go there? I don't think so. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't say for sure. So if you're the child here and you, and you wrote that question and you're mad at me now, um, you can meet me and the other guy outside as well. We'll talk about that later, right? Another question here. Will I be able to be saved after Jesus comes back? That's a good question. And before you quickly say, no way. Let me show you two verses. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. The Bible sets the, sets the agenda, amen? Let's stay with the Bible. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, and I want to show you three or four verses here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says. That after the Lord comes, and, and this is a great Scripture passage that also, I think, teaches why I lean toward Revelation 6. Because it seems to indicate that Christians are aware of the of the revelation of this man of lawlessness. That we, that we should not be worried that we've missed the coming because it won't happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed, until the Antichrist is presented. And then he comes. The Bible seems to indicate that in this passage. Now watch this. He'll set up his kingdom. I think once we see who that is, we'll probably be uh, snatched away. Now watch this. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Which, by the way, I just got to say this. Isn't that the opposite of the coming of Christ? The coming of Jesus was in accordance with the work of God. Remember that? Grace and truth. Remember Christmas? You know Christmas? He comes, and what did he say throughout his life? I came to do the will of my Father. Isn't this odd? The Antichrist, the man who's opposite of our Savior, He's in accordance with the work of Satan. You, you begin to see the diametrically opposed kingdoms that we're dealing with here. He'll be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Watch this. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Refuse the past tense word. At some point, they heard and said, No, thank you. Don't lose me, people. For this reason, 
God sends them a powerful delusion. They'll believe the lie as opposed to the truth. And so they will be condemned who have not believed, there's the past tense word again, the truth, but had delighted in wickedness. So if you think that there are people who cannot be saved after the snatching away, which they must be people who have heard before, but then they believe this lie. I believe that. I believe if you've heard the truth and then the snatching away occurs, that you will believe the lie. Now watch this. You don't think that right now. I don't know any of your neighbors who would say, man, if I saw a thousand planes crash and millions of folks missing, I'd believe then. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe. You'd find a way to reason it away. Because of the strong delusion. You say, Ty, I have a hard time imagining that. Well, let me give you this little story. Remember the rich man of Lazarus? The rich man's in hell. Lazarus is in heaven. And what does the rich man say? He gets there and you see this picture of this rich man like, man, now I see hell is real. This is true. And he says, Abraham, send back Lazarus to my brothers. If they saw Abraham from the dead, man, they'd believe and what did the what did the what does the Bible say Abraham said to him? Watch this. If they don't believe the prophets, referring to the written word of God in the Old Testament, they won't even believe that Abraham came back. So the truth is, if your neighbors won't listen to you and say the Bible says that Jesus Christ came, that He died, and that He He'll save you. The truth is, if they say no to that, when all hell breaks loose on the earth, they probably won't believe then either. Not to be a prophet of doom. But I'm just trying to lay out for you the principles of God's Word. You see, there's something called a strong delusion that God's going to send people. I struggle with that verse. Can I admit that to you? That's a tough one. It comes from God on those who've rejected the truth. But they'll believe the Antichrist because they didn't believe the real Christ. There's a verse in Revelation that seems to indicate there are martyrs in the tribulation, in this time frame of His wrath. I won't take you there to read it all together, but I just want to say this to you. You can't deny the fact that there are people during the wrath of God that are saved and their blood is an offering to God. They're, 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 uh, they're really uh, special people to the Lord. Revelation 14. So, Todd, how do you reconcile these two things? Quickly, let me just say here's how I reconcile it. And this is my personal opinion here. I believe if you ever heard the Gospel and the snatching away occurs that you will believe the lie and will never have a chance to be saved again. That's what I personally believe. I don't know if I can prove that. I think there's strong evidence that leans towards that. I think these folks in Revelation who are saved after hearing the message of the witnesses and the, and the, and the gospel, I think there are people who never heard. That's what I believe. There are folks in the far reaches of the world because the Bible says that when the very end of the age comes, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. And that's just not going to happen before the snatching away, by the way. But at the very end of the age, before the, the millennial kingdom, that will happen. I think at that point, somewhere in that time frame, those who've never heard and they don't get the mark of the beast, they say, wait, I've never heard there's another Christ. You mean the Antichrist isn't Him? You mean the gospel's true? And they say, yes, I believe, and they're killed. I believe that if you've never heard, I tend to think you may have one more chance. But what does that say to you today? Here in America, 
comfortable, cozy, and maybe Christian. Well, if what I said is true, and you walk out of here today and say, I'll take my chances, that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking your chances. And do you want to take chances with your eternity? Let me ask you a question that Jesus Christ asked the people. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a good question, isn't it? Say, Todd, I think I'll have another chance. I'll just take my chances, Todd. I'll walk out these doors. You know what? I bet when I see everything happening, these four horsemen, when I notice the world getting bad and I start seeing, I'll remember what you said. And I'm going to turn to the Lord. Really? You don't think you'll believe the strong delusion? The lie? I'll take my chances, Todd. Well, are you willing to give that in exchange for your soul? That's why I teach and preach passionately and fervently what the New Testament says the prophets and the apostles said. Today is the day of salvation. Amen, church? Now is the accepted time. That's why we teach our kids early on about the love of God and, the, and how He loves them and died for them so that they will accept and believe as soon as possible. Are you with me? Why take chances with your soul? Amen? Last question. Why does Revelation promise that those who read this book and obey it will be blessed as well as those who hear it? Well, that's a good question. Let me read for you the verse where that's found. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. We'll wrap up here with this question and get back on the road. You know what I'm saying? Take in into the rest stop. We'll leave the, the rest area. Call time in and get back in the game. Revelation 1, verse 3. The Bible makes a statement. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written because the time is near. Now, I'm going to shock some of you, especially Bob McConnell in a minute. I'm going to shock him with a statement. First of all, I believe the blessing is tied to the phrase, the time is near. Why are we blessed if we read and study this book? Well, because you'll begin to understand the unveiling of Jesus Christ. You with me? I don't think it's a supernatural, you know, aura that kind of falls over Ben. It's like, oh, Ben, you read the first three chapters. You have the third of the blessing, you know. It's like, okay, I, mean, I know folks that say, you know what? Revelation promised me a blessing. So they read it. I'm waiting. You know, like, it's almost like this greedy, self-motivated, you know, pie in the sky. That's not what we're talking about. The blessing is this, that if you read this book and you try to understand, you hear this book, the blessing is that when things start leading toward the end, as the fig tree begins to blossom, the Bible says, and you look and you notice, you'll be able to say, hey, Something's going on in the world. Now, I'll say it for you guys that are proper. Something is going on in the world. But when you're really down, when you're down at my level, you say, man, something's going on. You know what? Not everybody can do that. But those who read this book and understand it can read the times and the signs. Let me give you an example. Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians, he said, listen, you guys are all worried the coming's past. Then he said this statement. Didn't I tell you earlier not to worry that that won't happen unless this happens? And he went through the Bible and said, I told you this when I was with you. 
That's what we ought, That's the blessing of this of this book. Instead of looking around and saying, "Oh, I'm worried. What's going to happen?" Open the book, read it. The time is near, and say, "Well, now I understand." If you don't understand, I'm going to give you a little simple advice here. Read or listen. We got a guy over here that he loves the Book of Revelation on tape. He's been he's asked for all the copies. Hey, I need some more. He loves it. That's how you gain the discernment. Here's what I'm gonna shock you with, though. I've heard oh, Bobby like this. I've heard people say, "Man, Revelation is the only book where you're promised a blessing." That's not true. That is not true. James chapter one, verse twenty-two through twenty-five. Brad, you're there. I know. Watch this. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. Now, boy, just hang with me, church. I'm going to get fired up with you. Don't be hearers, be doers. You know, if you hear the word, you're like a man looking into a mirror. And you see your face and you say, man, that's an ugly sight. You turn around and walk away. Styles paraphrase there. But you know what? If you do what you read, watch this, Bob. Ready? You are blessed in your deeds. I'll tell you who gets the blessing. Let me just put this on the bottom line for us, Mike. You know who the blessing's for? Those who not just read the Bible, but obey it. That's great news. All you young couples, all you folks with kids, you folks who are empty nesters, you know where the blessing is? The blessing is in obeying the Bible. Man, just check out James 1, 22-25. I want to say to you boldly, Revelation is not some... Um, a book that has some supernatural extra blessing for you. Obeying the Bible is where the extra blessing comes in. Amen? When it says a man and a woman should cleave together. Hey, I'll obey that. Even when times are tough and I want to say, hey, I'm out of this marriage. No, I'm going to stick with it. Even when you're like, you know what? Uh, I just think I just uh, have all these crazy thoughts and all these weird ideas. But the Bible speaks the truth. Obey the Word of God. That's where the blessing is. Remember the two men? One built his house on the sand. One built his house on the rock. The only difference in the men, I told some kids this this weekend, the only difference in the men was that one heard and obeyed. The other heard too. Do you know that? Read the text in Matthew. They both heard, but only one obeyed. The only difference in all of you here this morning is that some of you will leave and obey the Bible. And some of you will leave and say, eh, that's his opinion. If you really want to be blessed, obey what you hear. Obey what you read. Amen? Let's wrap this up this morning, can we? What part of the Bible, let me be more specific, what part of Revelation do you need to obey? Now, don't answer out loud, but think with me. You say, Todd, I, uh, I don't know. Well, let me ask you some questions. Are you sure, are you confident that if Jesus were to come in the clouds today, that you would be part of the snatching away? Are you positive? Say, well, I don't know. How do you get to do that? The Bible says that He's coming to snatch away His children, His church. He doesn't mean you join a church by you sign a letter. He's talking about joining His body, believing in His name. We call that, the Bible calls that being saved. That may be a weird word to you, 
but it's a biblical word. If you don't know for sure this morning that you're a Christian, that you have been saved, in other words, you've repented of your sin and you believed in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven, if you're not sure that's happened, I invite you to trust Jesus this morning. Believe in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. That's one thing you can do to obey, right? Instead of leaving and saying, well, I'll just take my chances. Man, don't take any chances. This is not a lottery. We're not gambling with your life. You can set aside for sure the moment that you trusted Christ. How about um, being watchful and ready? You know, that affects how you treat your wife, your husband, your kids, how you invest your finances, how you work on your job. When we take Revelation to heart and obey the fact that the end, the time is near, it affects how I live. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Some of you have got some neighbors you need to go talk to. Is that okay to be that flat honest with you? Can I just be truthful with you? You've been in your home several years. You hardly know their name. You would never know if they're going to heaven or hell. And what's really important, people? This week, would you cross the sidewalk? Would you knock on the door and say, Hey, you know, John, I know we haven't met a lot. Could you and your wife come over for dinner this week? Now, don't go knock on the door and say, Hey, my pastor said to find out if you're going to heaven or hell. Which one is it, buddy? I mean, there's a better way than that, okay? But would you at least knock on the door and start some dialogue with your neighbors? I think if you're serious about obeying, you will. You with me? We're serious about obeying. We'll be looking to the skies. We'll pray this way. The Bible says to pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know that? Have me pray this week. No answer, but have me pray, Lord, come quickly. That's a tough prayer. I'm like, Lord, come, but maybe after Brooke is out of the house. You know, I've got a lot of fun things. I'm enjoying my kids and my wife. And you know what? I, you're going to come then, but that's an unbiblical prayer. I should pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's what you can believe and you can hear and obey. Amen? So this week, couples, individuals, say those three words. Every time you pray, just say, oh, and by the way, Lord, come quickly.